When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. So welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today, asking the question, did the blood of bulls and goats take away sins? And Hebrews answers that. And also, a little bit about St. John Chrysostom, who you were told not to bring money to his sermons. Don't bring money. Don't bring loose change because you'll be so mesmerized by the sermons that he preaches because he's so good that pickpockets will steal your money while you're listening. So that's up today. Blessings. This phrase, the, the blood of bulls and goats, For it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins is one that always pops out at me when I think about the temple and the tabernacle and all the altars that the people of God worshipped at in our Old Testament, starting with Cain and Abel in the very first stories of them building an altar and even God building an altar uh, before that, and Abraham uh, going out from his homeland and building an altar and offering sacrifices there. And then the tabernacle where the you can just imagine the volume of sacrifices there for the whole nation. And then the temple, which um, was a very large operation. Uh, there was a lot of animal sacrifice there. We know from the Old Testament coronation narratives of when Solomon was, um, I guess for lack of a bet, coronated, crowned, or inaugurated, um, the thousands of of burnt offerings that were offered up there um, were massive and significant. And Jesus' own parents go to the temple and offer the traditional sacrifice for a firstborn son to redeem the firstborn son's life back. And that was two turtle doves. It shows their economic status as poorer people, um, not bringing a big sheep or a goat, but bringing two turtle doves. And and yet um, this sacrificial system, with all of its grandeur and intensity and glory, and even um, in all the things that went with it, never was the thing that did the magic trick in heaven, if that's how we think of our sin being dealt with. What is, de- what is being dealt with in heaven is our sins. And the sign of that forgiveness, the sign of that sin being taken away are these animal sacrifices. They were always signs pointing to the deeper reality. And the sign is different from the thing it signifies. Just like the road signs to Pflugerville are not Pflugerville, they also participate in the idea of Pflugerville. If you were to spray paint them, you would be defacing a Pflugerville thing. Um, The sign does participate in the reality that it signifies, but it's also a sign. So we don't just say it's just a sign. Um, It certainly wasn't just a sign for the people that participated in the sacrifices in the temple. It also wasn't just a sign for the animals that participated in the sacrifices of the temple. 
Um, wasn't just symbolic in some way that we say it's just a symbol, just symbolic. But ultimately, the deeper reality of our sin is that our sins were always being dealt with by God in the heavenly temple. And Jesus, when he comes into this, in this heavenly sanctuary, offering his own body and his own blood, this is what takes away sins. All these other sacrifices are simply echoes and signs and pointers and markers and reminders of this ultimate sacrifice for sins that happened in the heavenly sanctuary. And so as the temple is destroyed, as the sacrificial system ends for the people of God, as we read about in the book of Hebrews, There is a deeper forgiveness, a deeper redemption that is offered for all humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is to be reassuring. Um, This would have been a really transitional and tumultuous and anxiety-ridden time in in this day, as the temple is no more there, and people are wondering, where is the, how do we deal with sins? We dealt with sins through the sacrificial system in the temple, and what do we do now? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, it's already been done. It's already happened. And that is true of our salvation too. No matter what your regrets are, no matter how you failed, no matter what you've come up short with, no matter how you've maybe missed the mark or, or feel like you've let people down or let yourself down or let God down or whatever it is that you're regretting today, your forgiveness has already happened. Your forgiveness happened 2,000 years ago. And so when we say, when were you saved? When were you saved? And when that question is asked to us, we say, I was saved 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's what the author of Hebrews is reminding us to say and to think and to feel. So we need to enjoy our forgiveness. Enjoy your forgiveness today. Go look at the sunshine and look at the rain or look at the trees and look up at heaven and say, thank you, God, for that forgiveness. Thank you for giving me this new life in your son, Jesus Christ. Um, Because it is ultimately his life and his body that gives our bodies life, gives our spirits life. It is his work on the cross that we celebrate, remember, and remind each other about when times are hard, when the chips are down, when we feel discouraged, we need to remember our forgiveness, that it's already happened and it's already working for us. Amen. Today, the church remembers St. John Chrysostom. We pray a prayer attributed to him at the end of every morning prayer service and evening prayer. He wrote prayers because he was deeply involved in the life of the church. He both wrote uh, sermons and liturgy, some of which are still being used today. He lived a long time ago, when you think about it, um, born in the 300s. So right around that time where Christianity is transitioning from a religion uh, that is persecuted and a small minority group in the Roman Empire to being the official religion of the Roman Republic and the Roman Empire. And 
he is in the eastern part of the Roman Empire in Antioch, where he's born and grows up, and is a very talented young preacher. And the reason he's called John Chrysostom, that was not the name he was born with, um, Chrysostom or Chrysostom, depending on how you pronounce it, is uh, it means golden mouth, to have a golden mouth. He was such a good preacher, they say, that audiences or people going to hear him preach were told not to bring change, not to bring loose change uh, or any money when you come hear him preach because you'll be so mesmerized by his preaching that pickpockets will run through the church and steal your money while you're listening to him preaching. Imagine preaching that good that um, someone could pick your pocket while you're listening and you wouldn't know it. That was, um, that was the urban legend of how good he was as a preacher. He was good as a preacher because he preached Christ crucified. He preached the gospel. He preached out of scripture. He reinterpreted scripture in a way that was quite different from the, the uh, Antiochian school of, of more allegorical meaning of scripture. Um, many Christians interpreted the stories of the Old Testament and even the New as allegories for deeper spiritual truths, uh, which was a lot of fun. The downside of that was that um, you sort of have to have the secret key to understand the stories. Um, and they would add layers and layers and layers to them. And John Chrysostom came in and just said, the stories can stand on their own. You don't really need to to find too many layers of meaning. Uh, maybe just the story about Abraham is a story about faith and we need to have faith. Or those, He, he was a very sim- simple preacher, just preaching the stories of the Bible and created some controversy, of course, but he was a great pre- uh, preacher. Um, so he was such a good preacher that the empress kidnapped him and appointed him as the bishop of Constantinople, which at that time was the head city of the Roman Empire. And so he becomes this archbishop of Constantinople, the highest church office in the land, pretty much. Um, at this time, even the bishop of Rome was sort of subservient to the bishop of Constantinople. And um this put him in the center of the empire that was obsessed with wealth and privilege and status and ornaments. The Byzantine Empire, um, as we know it, or the Roman Empire in the East, was an absorption of Persian culture and Roman culture. And the fusion of Persian and Roman culture, Rome was very austere. They didn't wear a lot of fancy clothes. They... Um, uh, the, the wives of Roman emperors and senators were expected to be in their front window spinning wool every day to show that they were just like everybody else. Um, whereas in the Byzantine Empire, you have this whole world, secretive world of harems, um, of many wives being kept in these palaces with great ornaments. Um, and then the courtly uh, procedures that happened in Constantinople, the Roman Empire there, were elaborate and ornate and uh, displayed uh, immense amounts of wealth. So jewelry, clothing, uh, all these things were the marks of status. And John Chrysostom was an ascetic. He was a monk who came in there and said, this is all wrong. Uh, He preached so many sermons against 
the ostentatious nature of wealth and how it corrupts us. He himself had spent many years uh, in, in relative isolation after his conversion to Christianity. He was a lawyer who uh, became a preacher. And during those years of conversion, he would never sit down, never lie down. He would stand a lot. He, he fasted so much it hurt his uh, kidneys and his digestive system. And he had a lot of health effects from that. Um, as he went to Constantinople. So he was an ascetic. He was a, a person that practiced spiritual disciplines intensely, like an endurance athlete. And so uh, immediately this culture of Constantinople both loved his sermons, but also hated his message. Um, they loved listening to him, but they kind of hated what he was saying. He did say things like in the quote that I shared, um, if you can't find Christ in the beggar at the door, of the church, you will not find Christ in the chalice. He said that the extra food and stuff you have in your cupboard doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the poor, and you need to share it with them. He preached against um, the marriage customs of the day, which were basically to find the richest bride you could possibly find um, if you were a man and marry her. And so that was the marriage practices of Constantinople that he preached against. And right away, um, this caused, gave him a lot of enemies. He is eventually exiled for unknown reasons, not sure if it was a theological issue or just the fact that he had uh, made too many people angry. So he, his life ends in exile um, in great sadness and isolation in many ways. And yet he was a preacher of the truth, one whose legacy endures today in the church. So uh, we thank God for preachers of scripture um, like St. Chrysostom. O God, who gave to your servant John Chrysostom grace eloquently to proclaim your righteousness in the great congregation and to fearlessly to bear reproach for the honor of your name, mercifully grant to all bishops and pastors such excellency in preaching and fidelity in ministering your word that your people shall be partakers with them of the glory that shall be revealed. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We pray a prayer for mission. Almighty and everlasting God, by whose spirit the whole body of your faithful people is governed and sanctified, receive our supplications and prayers which we offer before you for all members of thy holy church, that in their vocation and ministry they may truly and godly serve thee. Through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Almighty God, who hast given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplication unto thee, and hast promised through thy well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, thou wilt be in the midst of them. Fulfill now, O Lord, the desires and petitions of thy servants as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of thy truth, and in the world to come, life everlasting. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen.